0: Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got healthcare already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to a bank. Together, we will make America great again
1: we shall never surrender surrender. it's what you've been
0: waiting for all day the buck sexton show join the conversation call buck toll free at 844-900-BUCK that's 844-900-2825 the future of talk radio buck sexton
1: russia has made the decision to expel 60 of our staff from that country, and also closed down our consulate in St. Petersburg. A short while ago, I spoke with our U.S. Ambassador to Russia, John
0: Huntsman, who is serving over there. Uh, We spoke by phone, and he shared with me a statement, which
1: I'd like to read with you. This evening, Ambassador John Huntsman was convoked to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation. The Russian Federation dubbed 60 of our staff
0: persona non grata, and they now must depart within seven days. They also ordered the closure
1: of our consulate in St. Petersburg within 48 hours. It's clear from the list provided to us that the Russian Federation is not interested in a dialogue on issues that matter to our two countries. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. You heard the announcement there from the State Department. Russia retaliates against us after we retaliated against Russia for some of their poor behavior, for some of the government's actions. Around the world, most uh, notably in recent weeks, the poisoning of a, a Russian dissident, a former, uh, well, guy who was formerly Russian himself with Novichok. Uh, so they left chemical weapons fingerprints on that assassination attempt, and now we are pushing back on them. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on Russia today. I just want to leave it though, because I would like us to be a little cautious as a people, about how much we cheer on all this brinksmanship stuff with Russia or this this notion of a tit-for-tat, eye-for-an-eye. I'm not saying we do nothing, but this administration, the Trump administration, is now much more aggressive in its responses to Russian, you could say Russian aggression around the world, than the Obama administration was at any point in its eight years. And I worry that a lot of this has been uh, pushed forward because of the hysteria around the election meddling stuff. So, you know, Democrats who usually would be the ones saying, "Whoa, whoa, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to be the ones that are, you know, messing around with this nuclear power." Let's all, everybody, calm down a little bit. Calm down. Instead, they're like, "Yeah, get him." You know, the Democrats are usually the ones telling us to back off, cave to the dictator. Don't worry about the strongman. The U.N. will handle it. But because they think that Russia stole the election from Hillary. They're all, you know, yeah, like, why doesn't Trump take a tougher line on Russia, a tougher line on Russia? The Russian economy is not formidable as compared to ours at all. But Russia's ability to cause problems for us in other ways. uh, Not directly militarily, but through third parties, through proxies. Uh, Russia's arsenal, which has all kinds of stuff. Remember, I mean, how many of us, let's be honest, even knew what Novichok was before it appeared in the newspapers as a chemical weapon that was proprietary to the Russians that they used in an assassination attempt? They got all kinds of nasty stuff. But now we seem to have a situation where the media and the establishment has gone from saying Trump is so weak on Russia to, oh, wow, okay, Trump is doing a lot. That's a good thing. And I worry that now you got everybody. It's like everyone's rowing in the same direction on this one. And maybe just we need to keep an eye on how much we want to antagonize Russia for any number of these uh, issues that the administration has tackled in the last 12 months or so. And, And even before that, remember, there were the Obama administration put sanctions on when Obama was a lame duck president. Well, that's an easy thing to do. But we we should not uh, we should not be too cavalier about poking at this country time and time again in the ways that we are. There are a lot of ways that can make things difficult for us, and it would be better. It would be much better if, in fact, we were in a place where we could find common ground with russia and and the environment has become such that to even say that almost sounds now like you're some kind of a turncoat, right? You know, we should find common ground with Russia. Oh, does Putin have video of you with the hookers or something? I mean, it's always that's always the response now in one way or another. You're insufficiently pro-American or you're insufficiently loyal to America now. And this is kind of it's not bipartisan, but you've seen this in both parties. If you even raise the idea of. Let's have a more constructive relationship with Russia. That's not just premised on, you know, you do this and we do that in response. And it's heading in a very negative direction. I would also note that Russia is a whole lot less important to the United States in every sense than China. And yet you have all this piling on of, oh, Trump, uh, Putin, the dictator and all this bad stuff and So much less of the media's attention spent on China and the the economic and military challenge that it poses for us. You know, cyber gets a little more attention now. This is just a reflection of the Trump derangement syndrome that's been pushing the media now for, gosh, I don't even know how many, you know, 18 months. Uh, Pushing the media to run with this Russia story as though it's such a big deal. So everything with Russia is magnified, is what I'm saying. And the environment now is a little bit of a frenzy. There's a little bit of a hysteria around, yeah, yeah, get Russia. Okay, let's let's just pump the brakes a little bit on this. Russia is really not a country that affects your day-to-day very much, doesn't affect my day-to-day very much, and yet it's reported on the media all the time, this obsession with Putin, and we all know why. Hasn't changed really at all as a country. Since Obama was in office, but now all of a sudden it's, and I think, and this is, I guess, my cautionary note here. I feel like at some level the the Democrat media is like the guy who's, you know, at the other end of the bar who's saying, yeah, get him, just to see if you can get yourself into some trouble. You know, egging you on, egging us, meaning America, on to go after Russia and wondering if maybe we'll make a blunder along the way. We've got big we got big financial issues that are heading for this country. Uh, I, the more I dig into it, the more time I spend thinking about it, it's coming, folks. And it's a function of math. I'm not pretending that I've got some crystal ball here and I can tell you when. It is a function of math. We are 21 trillion in debt. We don't even talk about dealing with our debts anymore. We pass them on to future generations. It is intergenerational theft. It is happening on a multi-trillion dollar, multi-decade basis, and it is unsustainable even for us. Our country is in a little bit of a, of a, of a hubris about how much debt we can, how, how much we can play games with credit, how much debt we can carry. And this is an issue that we have to deal with sooner than later, but there's nothing on this. Instead, it's all, yeah, we expelled some Russian diplomats. They expelled our diplomats. Okay, Fine. It's a news story that's much more interesting to the media than it is to you and me. And that's because ultimately, do you think anyone will care or even remember in six months? The only thing that I think that could make it important is it is now creating something of a momentum in the short term where there could be a miscalculation. There could be an over an overreaction. Russia could decide to make things very nasty for us. I've always been concerned about Russian support to the Taliban, which U.S. four star generals have been saying, you know, At least one general in particular has been saying, I think there's a problem we got here, guys. Think about what happens if they decide to turn up that, uh, turn up that heat. That could get very ugly very quickly. So I have my concerns here. I know it's being celebrated as a victory. and You know, it's harder for them to run with the Trump is a Russian puppet narrative when Trump is going after Russia more than, than any of his recent predecessors have. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should get too enthusiastic about it either. I, I want to talk to you about the-, the decision not to create a second special council. I think it's the right one. I will get into uh, to why that is. Um, and uh, we'll also talk about, oh, I've got more on Roseanne for you. I watched the show. Two episodes, in fact. And I did not. Well, let- let's just leave that out there. But of a cliffhanger for you. I don't want to tell you who gets the rose. I've got to wait till after the commercial. I don't know how many of you watch The Bachelor. Miss Molly's made me watch it like a few times. Calm down. Calm down. Nonsense. Uh, we, so yeah, she twisted my arm, that's right. And uh, we've got a we got a whole bunch of other things we got to hit on. So so we have a a pack show as we always do. If you want to add your voice into the mix here, 844-900-2825 844-900 buck, we'll be right back.
0: But certainly drugs are flowing across borders. We need walls. We started building our wall. I'm so proud of it. We started. We started. We have 1.6 billion. And we've already started. You saw the pictures yesterday. I said, what a thing of beauty. And we're getting that sucker built. And you think that's easy? People said, oh, has he given up on the wall? No, I never give up. I never. We have 1.6 billion toward the wall. That's what I do is I build. I was always very good at building. It was always my best thing. I think better than being president, I was maybe good at building.
1: So Trump's saying we're getting the wall, right? Here we are, omnibus passed, and he's saying there's going to be a wall. No one thinks $1.6 billion is going to be enough. So what's the next step? I know there are these theories out there, and they've been floated by Trump himself, that he's going to use military spending. I think that could lead to an immediate challenge in federal court, which would delay anything. But I. Hmm. And Trump is saying it's one point six billion. And that that's going to be a good start. I. uh, It gets a little frustrating sometimes. Still, We're going to talk about other things today on the show. I want to talk to you more about the deep state, taking the deep state on. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but I've. I've seen some of the commentary from some very ardent Trump supporters you know I think it's hard to find somebody who was earlier on in her support for a Trump presidency than than Ann Coulter and we've had I've had on I don't know how many times I've had her on radio shows in the past uh, a bunch and she is really going after Trump on this and now I like I think she's just Offering up this uh, criticism of Trump as a as a corrective in the aftermath of that whole omnibus bill situation, I think so. But be prepared for some some harsh some harsh stuff from uh, from Ms. Coulter regarding Trump, who she wrote a book. If you remember before the presidency, like Trump is the most awesome thing ever, or something. It was something. It was like that. That was that was the book. I mean, I forget what the exact title was, but it was like Trump is the most amazing thing ever. She refers to him sometimes as the Emperor God Trump. You know, like Anne's very, very witty, very funny. Uh, But she is not taking this wall omnibus bill situation lightly at all.
0: It was precisely that he was so coarse that allowed him to make these, say these incredibly courageous things. He didn't care what Manhattan elites thought of it. As soon as he gets to the White House, suddenly all he wants is the approval of the Manhattan fancy people. He sure didn't care for the 18 months he was running. So the shallow coarse, ignoramus, yes, it was a selling point because he didn't care what people thought of him. Now all he wants is for Goldman Sachs to like him. I don't know what happened. But that's a different president. I haven't changed. Approbation.
1: She's upset about what's going on here about the wall, as you can see. And I I will note that in her, I think uh, she said this week or in a column this week, she says, if Trump builds the wall, I'll retract everything mean I've ever said. And he's totally right. And he's the most amazing president ever again. But I got to say, folks, I just want to establish now that we this is not one that we can explain away if it doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen, the president didn't make it happen. And this was a promise that it was what separated him from Rubio and and the others. This is what was different. His willingness to even talk about this. It's one of the only reasons we can even discuss immigration now in the context of how it's not always, how illegal immigration, for example, is not just one big pile of awesome for us. Um, But he's he's saying it's going to get built. I'm... I'm withhold. I'm not withholding judgment entirely, but I-, I can't give a final judgment on this until we know whether or not it actually happens. Uh, we also have California today. Very, very noteworthy backing off a little bit of the uh, sanctuary city mandates that they've put in place. Uh, California has laws that are completely, uh, completely out of control when it comes to Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. Um, and now we're going to have to see if, in fact, they're going to ease off a little bit at the state level, um, because or- or- Orange County has said that they they want to oppose the sanctuary laws that are in place here. And you get into this this fight of will the state push back on this? Will the state I, when I mean I don't mean the big S state, I mean the state of California say no? You have to do this. You have to do this way. We say. Um, but, you know, these are only debates and discussions that are happening because of Trump's stand on immigration. And I would note, I mentioned Ann before, people sometimes forget this. Trump read or or at least took the argument from uh, Adios America and ran with that in the beginning. And that's how you remember the comment that all of a sudden people are like, whoa, he's way ahead in the polls. was about Mexico not sending us their best. That was such a... Uh, a a bolt of lightning in terms of what the political consensus allowed at that point in time, meaning that it was just like, what did he say? Right. It was a, it was a shock to the system. And then the promises about the wall came up and now here we are. And he's saying he's going to get it built. He's saying it's going to get done. We we have to hold him to account on this and we absolutely have to. Um, He's also saying, by the way, he's going to protect the second amendment. I have no, no concerns about that and respected
0: in some circles, Democrat, said we want to get rid, we should get rid of our Second Amendment. In other words, get rid of it. That's really... uh, good." Could be right about that. Your Second Amendment will always be your Second Amendment. We're not doing anything to that.
1: And and yet there's... Such a dishonesty out there. I think gaslighting is a a term that I'm familiar with from the left uh, where, and I I believe it's taken initially from abusive situations where somebody says somebody will hit somebody. This is like domestic relationship situation. They'll hit somebody and then, you know, an hour later be like, I didn't hit you. And it's a form of psychological abuse. Uh, There's some kind of gaslighting that goes on with the media and the repeal of the Second Amendment. Where they'll have big outlets run with the story, and they'll and they'll put the opinion out there of yeah, yeah, we should repeal the Second Amendment, and then when people go, whoa, hold on a second, you want to repeal the Second Amendment? They go, oh no, no one's saying no one sang that, no one's saying that. Well, well, which is it? Can we get some? Uh, can we get some clarity on that one? That would be, I think, uh, particularly worthwhile. And then one more thing. I mean, Trump spoke earlier today, so this is just another one that comes to mind here uh, on taxes.
0: They all want to be back in the USA. A lot of them left. They're coming back. We've eliminated a record number of job-killing regulations. That's one of the reasons they're coming back. We killed the regulation. And it's a thing of beauty. So I think that's been a big, big success uh, and a reason for our success. And we've made history by massively reducing job-killing taxes.
1: I'm all for it, but let's be clear. Reducing taxes is about as mainstream a GOP position as you're ever going to find. That's not revolutionary at all. I'm I'm happy for it. I'm not discounting it. Papa Buck could definitely. Papa Buck needs a new pair of shoes. Literally, my sneakers that I try to work out in once a month are wearing out on me entirely. So I'm all for the tax thing, but when I talk about the Trump agenda. I'm particularly enthusiastic about the aspects of it that are different than the GOP, different than the swamp, different than what has been business as usual. we got to hold them to that, folks. We're going to stay on it. We'll be right back.
0: He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops the Democrats appear like they weaponized to some degree the intelligence services, you know, by using the foreign intelligence surveillance apparatus in this country to go and target the opposition campaign is totally unacceptable. And that's what happened here. I am happy that Bob Goodlatte subpoenaed these 1.2 million documents, but uh, I said this uh, earlier in the week, we need those documents like yesterday. I think we're going to get all the documents, and if we don't, then we should move quickly to contempt, and then we should move to impeachment. One of the mistakes we made
1: uh, is we never impeached Lois Lerner, and we never impeached Cosigan uh, Had we had gone away that, with it, what we about, wouldn't be here you, today. They got away with faith. it. Devin Nunes laying down some heat, as he should. Look, the reality, I think, here has been clear for a while, and that is— people in very senior positions in the government under the Obama administration who figured that Hillary was definitely going to win, but they wanted to make sure that she won. They wanted to help. Um, And they also were terrified of the notion of a Trump presidency, abused their discretion and their authority and did what they could to try to dig up dirt on Trump or just create this whole narrative. You know, all that, right? I mean, we've, We've been ad nauseum on this story because the media keeps covering. Although right now I'll I'll tell you, they're much more interested in Stormy Daniels, which is the main story on CNN right now, than they are in anything having to do with Russia, including the expulsion of of sixty of our diplomats by the Russians. That's that's uh, second tier stuff. I the the minutia that gets attention from the left when it comes to Stormy Daniels stuff. It's like a Stormy Daniels lawyer had. A bacon, egg and cheese McMuffin this morning. I mean, the stuff they're running with over at Sina, it's like not not even news. It's just just they want to they want to flash photos on the screen of the the porn star that alleged the affair. And it, I, I guess their audience, I guess people that hate Trump like seeing this over and over again. It affects them not one bit. And it's really not interesting. But here we are. It's the main story. And I I do believe, by the way, they're they're laying off the Russia stuff right now because they want this whole policy response from Trump to pass. And then they can start pounding the Trump is in Russia's pocket drum again. But right now it's a little too much dissonance even for CNN, if such a thing is possible. An apple's a banana, banana's an apple. It's all the same thing. But on the uh, weaponization of the intelligence community, uh, specifically DOJ and FBI, which, as I like to note, the scariest part of the government, like I said before, prosecutors are very frightening, but also the DOJ in general. Uh, You do not ever want to be sitting across the table from a, a U.S. attorney or an assistant U.S. attorney discussing your options for a plea. You know, there's no parole in the federal government system, so you serve the whole sentence. And the mandatory minimums are rough so uh the federal government including for crimes you're like wait what we're not talking about for axe murderers here folks we're talking about for mail fraud (laughs) we're talking about for for other things i'm pretty sure a woman actually just got speaking of how our justice system i I think honestly that the way that punishment is doled out in our justice system in in a lot of ways doesn't make very much sense um i think woman just got five years for voting illegally in texas i'm pretty sure i saw that today five years in prison or casting an illegal one illegal vote uh, she was a felon and and did not know and said she did not know that she was not allowed to vote after the completion of her sentence but you'd be surprised what you get sent away for and how long you know you commit you commit fraud you you could be facing a long stretch in the pen if you're somebody who you know do something really terrible and violent depending on whether you go into state court or if it's not federal state you know you might have a better shot you just don't know There are definitely people that serve more time for white collar crimes in many instances than for uh, manslaughter, for example, if you take a plea. Anyway, uh, so the the attorney general, my buddy Jeff, as you know, uh, he has said that the special prosecutor is not going to be the option the DOJ goes with right now to uh, look into all this stuff. A uh, special prosecutor is not the way to, not the way to go. They're going to have the inspector general looking into it. I think this is the right move. And I think it's the right move for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, if it comes from inside the Department of Justice itself, I, I think, no, you could argue this one. But I think that it seems a little more like, well, this is just the normal process. And if you set up a separate special counsel, it looks like you're just trying to You know, you're trying to do. Yeah, I'm doing this as well. You know, it's fighting fire with fire, but so political because the current special counsel, the Mueller probe, is so obviously a witch hunt against Trump. To set up another special counsel. May look like you're just trying to dirty up the other side, whereas you could just use the inspector general. And the internal processes of the Department of Justice to get this information. What we've seen this week is not only that decision coming out from Jeff Sessions, but also the FBI now has agreed to, and this is under uh, FBI Director Ray, to move more quickly on things. Because, my friends, FBI is playing games here. No question about it. I don't mean the whole FBI. I'm not saying, like, every field agent in, you know, Topeka is messing around with the books or something. I mean, at the top level in D.C., At at FBI HQ, there are decisions that are being made that are, at a minimum, skewed towards defending the Bureau's reputation. At a minimum. And that's not the way this is supposed to be. We should have a full accounting of the facts here. We should know exactly what happened. You know, you're starting to see a problem here. The, The disparities and the hypocrisy, right? The disparity between the Hillary Clinton email investigation. How were witnesses treated? How was Hillary treated? How was the law read? And then how the special counsel has been going with Trump, right? How are those witnesses treated? Is anything overlooked? Is any is anyone given the benefit of the doubt? You know, does the tie go to the runner? With Hillary, you know, you didn't even have to run to the base and they were calling you safe. With Trump, you're getting tagged after you've dusted yourself off, already hit the base, and they're calling you out, right? It's, it's a very disparate treatment. But within the DOJ itself, what you see is, if if you lie to the DOJ or you engage in any kind of hiding or impropriety, you as a private citizen, particularly if you're tied to Trump, you're you're donezo. I mean, you are going to get crushed. But if you happen to work for the DOJ, you know, there's going to be a lot of efforts to try to keep stuff secret and, you know, they're going to cover for you. The fact that the text messages between Struck, the FBI agent, and his uh, mistress, uh, Paige, talked about this judge and how they wanted to make sure that they could meet with the judge and not recuse himself. That judge was overseeing the Flynn case at the time. That's a big deal. Why would the FBI, on on what legitimate grounds would they hold that back from us? The answer is none. The answer is that they're protecting the reputation of the Bureau, and they think they have a very wide mandate to do that. And, And I'm here to tell you that that is troubling. We see time and again political abuses in agencies that have a whole lot of power. Uh, the FBI, the IRS with Lois Lerner, as was mentioned, and there's no accountability. There is no accountability. And the government seems to think that they can rely on secrecy. Remember, there was a lot of secrecy in the IRS, too. Can't release tax tax uh, information, can't release this, can't release that. You know, criminal liability, I think, even for people to release private tax information uh, that's, you know, that they've gotten from a third party. So there are all kinds of problems, all kinds of, uh, sort of issues with how the government tries to keep information back from us. And we just have to demand to see it. We have to say, you know what, this is enough of the games. You know, this FISA abuse situation, this should be a, a four alarm fire to, to my, my friends out there who are firemen. I don't know if that's the. What's the most for a fire? Is it four alarms or five alarms? I mean, if if stuff gets like really wild, if it's like a raging, fiery tornado inferno, is that like a six alarm fire? I don't know. I don't know fireman stuff. I just remember all the funny jokes that the NYPD used to make about the FDNY, and I can't repeat them on air because I don't want to get in the middle of that. But uh, I think four alarm fire is the most. Anyway, it should be a four alarm fire using the spying apparatus of the United States government. I also know... This is a, another thing. Is, am I right? Four alarm fire or five? Come on, John. What do you got for me? Ten alarm fire? Whoa. Not six, seven. Um. All right. Well, apparently there's ten alarm fires, which I didn't know about. That must be crazy. That must be like staring into the mouth of the volcano, right? That's, that's a ten alarm fire. But uh, the... The spying apparatus of the United States government, another note here, we had this thing now of not ever referring to spying, you know? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you had, uh, I think the former CIA director said that the agency, for example, like, doesn't, doesn't really, doesn't spy. You know, it's just intelligence. No, they're spying, right? <laughs> There's spying going on. And when people are intercepting your communications, thats eh, you can call it surveillance, which is a sort of a fancy French word for spying, because that's what it is. The surveillance say it like that. And all of a sudden sounds a little cooler or not. But the spying apparatus of the United States government was used for political purposes. And as I've said to you, all they had to get was one really juicy nugget. You know, all they had to get was one bit of information that was either it didn't even have to be criminal. It just had to be so uh, politically damaging that it could be leaked to the Washington Post and it would all be over, right? I mean, just imagine for one second that, you know, somebody that they had under surveillance or they they when they gathered these communications from Carter Page or somebody else, there was something offhand said that was really, and you you don't need me to, to paint a picture here. You could think of it yourself, right? This is a hypothetical, but really uh, not something you'd want publicized uh, that got out there from any member of the campaign. Um, Or or even from somebody, you know, Trump or somebody right around him at the top level could have been the end. Right. Just one email, one text message. And if you have the legal discretion to look for that information based on Carter Page is running some international conspiracy. And Carter Page is a clown. He may be a reasonably nice guy. I don't know, but he's a clown. He's not doing any conspiracy. He's the center of this whole thing. He is the centerpiece of all of this. You know, ever since I interviewed Julian Assange, I'm not gonna lie. I've been a little worried about my own communications. That was like a a year ago. I'm like, oh gosh, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't do this from uh, you know an IP address that's actually tied to me. But anyway, just talk to the guy. But we don't want our government spying on us. This should be a really big deal, a really big story. Notice how the same people who are up in arms about whether Facebook shared information that Facebook already has with a third party for the purposes of marketing, when they're doing that all the time anyway, those people are so freaked out about information they are freely giving to the government, are somehow on the other side of this, people who are telling you that micing up Carter Page's entire life, basically, based on this preposterous idea that he's a Russian agent, is okay. Okay. This is the single most important thing the Department of Justice can do right now. Get us answers and the truth on this. I think the inspector general is equipped for it. I think a special counsel is probably not needed as long as the IG is pushing hard and Jeff Sessions is going to push it. And I think that's uh, that's where we are on this. So we'll see. Um, but, you know, there are these text messages about... Uh, different figures involved in this about possible coordination we 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 need this stuff to be out there i want the facts all right all right i know i've run long here i'm I'm gonna run to a break uh let's just do that i'll come right back i got a lot more John, just so you know, you did not uh, overstate it, my friend. Uh, I, I had Mike send this to me. Uh, a 16-alarm fire, which is, uh, this is the sh- the the fiery Sharknado of fires. I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. 16-alarm fire in Brooklyn back in 1996. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't think they could, that's not really a fire. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I just learned, I've heard about like a four-alarm fire before. I just realized I don't know anything about firefighting. All I know I learned from backdraft, and I'm assuming that's not very much. So if any, any, we, we actually have a, a lot of listeners who are firefighters. So you know, send me some resources so I can actually learn how this goes. I I know that you know, they go with the trucks, they make a lot of noise, they bring water, they wear suits. You know, I don't know, I don't know much about it at all. And then I always was, I was just always amused. See, I was never given the other side of it, which is the the fire department guys making fun of the. Uh, NYPD guys, and you know, I never got that part of it, which I'm sure there's also a lot of, a lot of humor that goes back and forth. Uh, but yeah, apparently 16 a 16 alarm fire. So it's it's whatever the ah. See, uh, producer Mike has, has got my back here. He says the number of alarms generally indicates how many firefighters and vehicles are dispatched. Ah, so it's whatever the fire. Now it all makes sense. All righty, thanks, thanks, Mike. Yeah, I, I had a feeling it was something like that. By the way, it had to be. So I, I hear this stuff sometimes. I had a, a high school classmate. You know, I don't even remember if he ended up doing it, but I thought the guy had his stuff together because we were all sitting around talking about how you know, we were going to try to go to like grad school or something and become lawyers. My high school is a lawyer factory, man. Everyone ended up being a lawyer, and and he's like, nah, he's like, I want to be a fireman, and we're all like, we kind of looked at him, and you know, I mean, look, that's that's cool. I mean, it's. You know, I worked for the police department for a while, Uh, but I just—it was funny because he wasn't like I want to be a fireman, and he hadn't thought about it. He's like the pension system is amazing. I get to work out all day. You get to like have this amazing schedule. You can you can retire at least in New York. I think you retire after 20 years, no matter how old you are when you join. You get all kinds of good OT. He had like work. We were like 16. He had worked this out to the T. I Actually, spoke to a, a another friend of mine recently about how he was on a trip in. I think it was in Germany and he was at some like Bavarian beer hall there and there were all these guys there and they're all from the same fire department. He's like he's like wow, he's like you guys are all here. They're like yeah, we've got like you know, comp time or something and they're from I think the fire department in outside just around uh, San Francisco. Great gig for them apparently. I know, I've gone way off the rails here. I am going to come back and talk to you about uh how the domi- the leftist domination of media is going to come back and come back fiercer than ever before unless we do something about it. Uh, You have the Obama dynasty that I mentioned before is going to be built differently than they were building the Hillary Clinton one, or the Clinton one, I should say. Uh, The Obama dynasty is going to be digital, and it's going to be not through a pseudo-charity, but through media, through entertainment. I mentioned yesterday that pundits run the country, and it is true. And Obama knows that, and all of his backers, all of his people know that. Obama is actually the, going to be the main force going forward, I think, in the Democrat Party. Uh, you're going to see that happening more in the next year. Uh, but some of his top people are also getting involved in this. I'll explain what I mean and where this is all going, but you have to stay with me through the break because I can't share it all right now. i got so much more to say. Hour two, coming up.
0: holding the line for America. Buck
1: Sexton is back. So how did the left try to control the conversation, control the platforms, the outlets? Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Uh, I like Netflix a lot. I'm not as much of a Hulu guy. I like Netflix. Miss Molly likes Hulu, you know, to each his own. I've seen a lot of very good shows on Netflix. I do think House of Cards is wildly overrated. And, oh, by the way, we will get into Roseanne, which I watched in the third hour today of the show. I've got some additional thoughts on it. I think a little bit... I know Trump called Roseanne to congratulate her on the huge ratings of the show. I am... uh, I have a bit of a contrarian view of all of this, my friends, which I will share with you in the third hour. I I gotta keep you... I gotta keep it spicy, you know? But it wasn't an emerald. Bam! With the spice, right? That was the... And now there's also a Spice Meme guy who does the thing with his hand and the right the throws the salt. Salt meme. Salt Salt Bay. Thank you. Salt Bay. Salt Bay is kind of the new uh kind of the new Emerald Bam, right? I mean, it's sort of, maybe. Anyway, whatever. So um Netflix, though, is great. But guess what? It's run by a bunch of liberals. Guess what else? Facebook, run by a bunch of liberals. Google run by a bunch of liberals. I mean run, run and owned by I should say. Amazon and the Washington Post run by a bunch of liberals. Trump called out Amazon earlier today and actually caused the stock to get uh, a little bit of a little bit of a hit. So there's that. But you'll notice when I'm talking to you about digital media platforms which are not just changing our day-to-day lives but really the engines of the uh engines of the economy right now i mean there there's there's a huge amount of growth that just comes from the stocks that are in these areas um it's all liberals that own them and run them and operate them this is significant my friends right people say oh buck you know media we've got fox news now and the internet and yeah but cable is changing everything is going to go digital and a la carte at some point in the future i don't know when everyone people have been saying this for years content will still be important and monetizable and valuable right with the actual shows that go on TV but that's changing how we get the content is changing and everything is going to be integrated as we know in your computer and your TV and all this all going to be treated pretty much the same way who controls the access points liberals leftists progressives they control Netflix Hulu Comcast Google, YouTube, Facebook, go down the list, Instagram. I know some of these own other ones, but what do we have on our side? And, and I, I would be okay even with, with a truly neutral social media behemoth. I'd be okay with a truly neutral digital media, but it doesn't exist. And somehow they've all skewed left again. This, we've been kind of asleep at the wheel on this one. I'm just going to be honest with you folks. I've been telling you for a while this is happening. There's no way that you have Mark Zuckerberg, in some ways the most powerful CEO on the planet, who is clearly a man of the left, and that doesn't affect what goes on at Facebook. It's just not, just not reality. Now you start to see what the next, what the next uh, version, the 2.0, sorry, of this is going to be. Obama is getting shows via Netflix. They're not sure if he's going to be on one, maybe, you know, do sort of a political talk show. Uh, Obama then becomes somebody who's in a position to direct the national conversation in a similar way to Ellen and Oprah and Seacrest. I mean, these people who have enormous followings on TV. But Obama was a politician. Right. And now he might might have that role. He also will be behind the scenes producer on these things. Uh, executive producer role and credit or maybe just credit who knows susan rice one of his top advisors you you remember susan rice right i mean she does have some experience in the in the video space based on the best information we have to date What our assessment is as of the present is, in fact, what it began spontaneously in Benghazi uh, as a reaction to what had transpired some hours earlier in Cairo, where, of course, as you know, uh, there was a violent protest outside of our embassy uh, sparked by this uh, hateful video. So she's got some video experience talking about the video that did not, in fact, cause Benghazi and that was a terrorist attack. But so there's that. But she's going to be on the board at Netflix. She's going to be on the board voting on strategic decisions that affect Netflix's future. I can assure you there are other top Obama people that are already on boards that you're not even thinking of right now that are determining policy at places like Facebook, Netflix and others, determining what gets made. You know, there's another thing out there that no one really spends much time and attention on. I've talked to some I actually talked to a tech blogger about it on her podcast maybe six months ago. People think that social media is like this even playing field. You know, however many followers you have on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, it's just based on whatever people buy them. That's something that never really gets talked about. You can buy followers, real and fake. And Facebook has been encouraging the buying of followers in a sense by demanding that more and more people pay for uh, their posts to be seen by people. Uh, Because really what you want is people to see your stuff and then follow you. But also, we don't know what's going into these algorithms. It's not even just, it's it's iTunes as well, it's Apple. Do we do we know how they're, how do they pick the top podcast to show you? To see who else gets, who, who else is going to get following, uh, followers on a podcast. It's an algorithm. It's not just based on sheer download numbers. I mean, I can tell you, this show, which is a radio show, but we also have a podcast of it, does Orders of magnitude more downloads a month than some of the shows that will appear on the top 100 of iTunes. But they say, well, but it's 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 a rebroadcast. It's different, and you know, it's it's about the downloads versus the number of shows. And they've got some. It's not just like the most wins, you know. You even see this with the you know the New York Times has been playing this game with their bestseller list of books for a long time. You know, they got a formula. It's not just who sells the most books. There's a formula. There's an algorithm. That's just a fancy way of saying that there are ways to cheat and to steer the conversation. And there are ways for the left to win. This is the most important. We we, know we kind of won the battle against the old media bias establishment. And that at least now it's, you know, anyone from CNN, for example, who's like, we're journalists down the middle. I mean, it's laughable, right? It's preposterous. It's silly. It's foolish. But we're going to have to fight that battle again now with Facebook and Twitter and all these other entities because I am telling you, they are even more left-skewing than we can realize right now. A lot of it is happening on the back end. We don't have the data. The people that make the decisions are leftists. They are leftists. And they are evangelists as well. Silicon Valley is hyper-progressive. Not a little bit progressive. Hyper-progressive. You know, who do you think is calling the shots at the, at the state level in California for some of these crazy policies? Who puts it in the, the ear of some of these politicians to do these, to have these ruinous, ruinous regulations for the environment, for whatever? Silicon Valley. So keep an eye on this. Obama, Susan Rice, there'll be others as well. Oh, Chelsea Clinton. They got to they gotta let the Clinton stench kind of waft away a little bit after the loss. But Chelsea Clinton's going to be put on the boards of some of these major things because they're going to build her back up too. This is the next big fight for us conservatives sponsor this half hour is ZipRecruiter. uh the people that are working for you the people in your business are your business and you need to make sure you get the best ones you possibly can i've done a lot of hiring in my day public sector private sector been involved in looking at resumes in the entire process and i can tell you that it can be a pain and those of you that are either hiring for a business that you work for or that you run know that it can get to be a real annoyance that's where ZipRecruiter comes in ZipRecruiter. recruiter has smart matching technology that will bring the best possible candidates right into your inbox. They make this process so very simple. 80%, you can't argue with the facts, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Try it out for yourself. Go to ZipRecruiter.com buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com buck. One more time, you can try it totally free. You're going to love it. ZipRecruiter.com buck to get the best employees possible for those job openings. We'll be right back. In The last few months, uh, it really has changed, not from Congress, but from these internal political appointees that were trying to politicize VA and trying to make sure that our progress stopped. And uh, it's been a very difficult environment. It's been um, one where we've been distracted from our mission. I was not against um, uh, reform. And I think that it was really the political appointees that were trying to undermine our efforts at VA. There you have the recently ousted, as in yesterday, we got to announce it on air. That's one of our specialties here. We we get to tell you first about the folks who have been booted from the administration, because they usually do it late in the day, right? You don't get fired at 9 a.m. You get fired, you know, 5 p.m. And then we come on right afterwards to be like, hey, guess who got fired today? Shulkin. <laughs> That's who. Or that was yesterday. So he's out. But people are starting to ask questions about why and what and who and how and all that stuff. Uh, a few things here. First of all, I, I believe, unless I am mistaken, and we know usually when I say that, I am not. Um, but I believe Shulkin at one point was a, an appointee of the Obama administration. I could be wrong, but I think that that's the case. What this does raise, though, uh, is that it seems to... Oh, yeah, the only holdover from the... That's what I thought. The only holdover from the Obama administration. See, what, what you're seeing is that the deep state is a real thing. And the deep state is not just about the FBI. The bureaucracy... For reasons that I can explain to you, because I was there. Unlike a lot of the other folks you'll listen to on radio or even see on TV, I was not at the appointee level. It wasn't all fancy. I didn't have a private car driving me around with a bunch of staff and everything else. That sounds nice. But if you're just going to be one of those little cubicle farmers like I was, you get a sense of what the politics of the rank and file in the federal bureaucracy is. And then when you see at the top people that have been bureaucrats for a long period of time, uh, you are not surprised in the least that they are leftists. They are statists. They believe very much in the government. People ask me, Buck, why would you leave the CIA? I think CIA has a great mission. I think there are some incredible people who work there. But honestly, it's a large Federal bureaucracy. And that's just not my jam. That's just not what I want to be doing with all my time. I did it for a while. I served. I got out. You know, that's it. Some people love the structure. Others hate the bureaucracy, meaning all the extraneous, foolish, silly stuff you deal with. But when you look at who is more likely to think that that kind of bureaucracy is a good thing or that they'll take to it. Of course, it's Democrats. The people who think the government should fix all problems are going to often be the people who really, really want to spend their whole lives working in the government. Doesn't, you know, it makes perfect sense. But at the very senior level as well, you see this with some of the Obama holdovers. right? You see this with people who were appointed. Comey was an Obama holdover. Shulkin was an Obama holdover. And. The moment that they're out of office, the mask drops and we see that they are, in fact, uh, left of center. They're going to talk smack about the current president, about the current administration. And it's just it's it's not a surprise to me at all. And we see this time. By the way, Comey, who, as you know, I've really I've got a bee in my bonnet about Comey because I hate power mad prosecutors. I mean, there's nothing worse in the government than a prosecutor who is unethical. It's the single most uh, frightening thing for your everyday citizen in terms of dealing with your government, quite honestly, is a power mad prosecutor. You know, nobody else can ruin your life as fast as a prosecutor who decides that it's in his interest to do so. And Comey is such an opportunist. I mean, now he's out on this book tour. You know, remember when he was the guy that was that was the reason that Hillary lost? Oh, that's right. Now he's the guy who's on a book tour. And getting all this love, including a huge advance from the left, because he's going to be the one who they think is part of bringing Trump down. So he, you have a guy who was blamed for Hillary's loss at one point, now selling books and going on a book tour where he's going to be beloved and feted by. That's feted in the French way, not f e t i d. for my wordsmiths out there. Wordplay. But he's going to be celebrated by Democrats because they think that he still has a shot to bring down the Trump administration. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, But that's Comey. Back to Shulkin. He's saying that there were. Oh, and he's a hero temporarily. Oh, what a surprise. Political here writing no longer muzzled. Shulkin takes on Trump's White House. The fired Veterans Affairs secretary claims he was politically knifed. It should not be this hard to serve your country. Uh, you know, the notion that the VA, that, that privatizing parts of the VA is somehow going to ruin it. You you look at all the other places where you have privatization and you have greater efficiency, better services, better technology, just because of the way that systems and, and the, the way that life works. But There's a big political backdrop to all the stuff with the VA, and that is if the VA got privatized, something that's very important to all of us, how are our veterans being taken care of? Is the sacred obligation we have to our veterans by the citizenry being met? If, in fact, we saw that privatization made it more, made that promise uh, fulfilled. Think about what that would mean for the general health care debate. Think about the talking point. And I don't mean that in a in a bad way, but the, the data point. There you go. See, it's all about the words. The data point it would give to Republicans and conservatives for why don't we do more of this privatization stuff? How is privatization a dirty word? Show me the country that has over privatized itself and has gone down the tubes. I mean, I'm not familiar with it. I know a lot of places that's let the government run things and it is. You know, Dante's eighth circle of hell, Venezuela, for example, you know, Zimbabwe. I mean, we can go down the list of countries that are barely even countries anymore after the mismanagement that has occurred. That the, By the way, countries that should not be poor, right? It's one thing to say Yemen is really poor and is and is a country that's in crappy shape. Uh-oh, it is. It's running out of water and it's in the middle of a civil war and it's a desperate situation. Uh, but, you know, Yemen doesn't have a whole lot in the way of natural resources at all. Venezuela, Zimbabwe actually do have a lot of natural resources, but they're very, very poorly run. But privatization doesn't ruin countries. Government can ruin countries. And the VA becomes this political football because, oh, if we privatized it and it worked even a little bit, meaning even we privatized it in stages and phases, which is the only way you'd be able to do it, then it would have implications for all the rest of the discussions this is how everything is political because once you start to look at things as a left versus right paradigm all the time it's scary because you realize the left can justify anything under the auspices of well we don't want to give the other side a win and that's how you get the nancy pelosi syndrome of like well you know do we really even think that we should uh like the tax cut it's just crumbs she doesn't want to give the other side a win by the way real quick this was on outnumbered one of my favorite shows as you know Look, I mean, the, the question is, if I praise the way that Donald Trump looks and the way he's healthy, do I get to run a massive department? I mean, we're talking about. No, because somebody. you're not a doctor. Well, that's well, that's very true. Nor thank, a rear thank, admiral. Thank goodness. Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Kennedy and Harris there. to Zach Petkanis being like, yeah, man, you are neither a rear admiral nor, nor a uh, physician. So it would be particularly weird if they made you the uh, VA secretary. I just thought that was kind of a funny moment from earlier today buckslap oh we got him um, but that guy seems to be a pretty good sport actually about going going into uh, territory that's not always friendly to his political beliefs uh, so we're, we're gonna talk to you in just a couple of minutes here about uh, the left boycotting and it seeming to work and uh, I, I got a whole lot more oh and Hillary's speeches where are those fees who wants to take a guess are Hillarys speech fees going up or going down? Are they going down a little bit, or are they going down a lot? We will discuss uh, all of that and much more. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK, if you would like to uh, chat about any of this and more. And uh, also, don't forget, download the podcast, The Buck Sexton Show, on iTunes. Please subscribe as well, and we'll be right back. Sometimes you may stop and think to yourself, well, hold on a second. Is the media really as biased as we th- as we think they are as as we talk about in the Freedom Hut, is it really that bad? <laughs> Some of you are laughing. You are like Buck. It's worse, which may in fact be true. But if you are looking for a great anecdote, you know, a a story that will tell the tale, which I guess is another way of saying a story that will tell the story. Come on, Buck. Vocab. I got. I got to get back to basics here. One of you pointed out, and thank you for it, that uh, I said oligonus on the air because I read uh, much more than I, I hear many of these words. So I'm I'm actually a, a bit of an autodidact. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that one correctly, but I read that one somewhere, too. Um, a lot of what I talked about on the air is self-taught. But it is oleaginous, for those who are wondering. A great word, by the way. It means kind of uh, you know oily, oozing, similar-ish to, uh, which is not a word, to unctuous, which is another great word. You know, you, the guy who... Shows up at your at your family dinner. That's not really a relative. And all of a sudden he's like, I got a great investment for you. You know, he's like, hey, why don't you give me some of your cash? You, know, you could say that guy's unctuous. You know, you uh, your uncle Bob who wants to just get you into that used car. Hey, I, you know, this one, this one speaks to you. The vet gets it done. You guys remember uh, True Lies? That guy's that guy's unctuous. May he rest in peace. I just realized Bill Paxton passed away. He was young too. He was a great actor. I love Bill Paxton's work. I I, I do. I'm not kidding. Celebrate his whole catalog. Uh, but uh, away from words for a second here. So we have oleaginous, unctuous. What are some of the other? But I've said maelstrom a few times in the show recently, which you all have pointed out. We got to do a favorite buck words. Um, I try to. I, you know, I try to stay away from profound as well, because if what you say is profound, you shouldn't have to say it. You know, it's like real gangsters don't talk much. Because they don't have to. It's like if you're what you're saying is profound, then you're good to go. You know, anyway, Hillary, let's talk about Hillary. And how this and how the media ties into all this. So I, I was over. It. it was great for background to be at CNN in the year of an election, especially an election where so many people there, meaning the different journalists and producers were reminiscing fondly about the Clinton years and the Clinton White House and they had great access and they loved it. And and they were tied in tight with the Obama White House as well. And they were so happy about the prospect of eight years of Hillary. It was it was a near euphor- euphoria. That's how Hillary says it. It was going to be a kind of nirvana for them. And so there were no there was no compunction whatsoever. They had no problem doing whatever they had to do to tell the stories the way that they would benefit Hillary, right? Whatever would benefit Hillary, that was what they were going to try to do. And one of the things that I kept bringing up, especially, and I would bring up Bernie Sanders, I'd be like, I mean, Bernie's the real deal. Bernie's the the legit, the legit character. You know, he's the one who wants to actually just, just socialize it, baby. Socialize it. And I would say, you know, Hillary and, and Bill are worth over $100 million. They have created no product and do not run a, for pro, uh, a for-profit for company. They run a charity and they give speeches on the side, but they also are political figures, as we know, the greatest political dynasty in the country until her last loss, I think you'd have to say, certainly ahead of the Kennedys in the Democrat line of succession. And Obama, well, the Obamas will see. They may, they may become the great political dynasty of the Democrat Party of the next you know, 20 years. But in the meantime, it was all about the Clintons, and yet the Clintons made all this money. And I would have journalists that would seem like smart people look at me like that's that's not strange. I'd say, you know, I'm a, I'm familiar with the speaking circuit, and I know what famous people get paid to speak. You know, for me, you know, if you if you if you invite me to a nice enough place and you seem like nice people and you'll make me a plate of homemade warm gluten free chocolate chip cookies, there's like a decent shot that I will show up. You know, but some of my more famous friends. You know, they'll show up, they'll give a speech for 30, 50, maybe a hundred thousand dollars if you're really, if you're really pretty famous. Bill Clinton was getting speeches for six, seven, eight hundred grand. That just doesn't happen. Just doesn't happen. Hillary Clinton, hello! She was getting speech fees of two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. Just doesn't really doesn't really happen unless. You're not paying for the speech. You are buying influence. And this I was those of you who are OSS have been with me for a few years now, now I've been hitting this one hard because this was a real litmus test. And given the current media environment where all the go, oh, all of you Christians explaining away all of Trump's behavior. You know, there's a lot of media looking down their nose at the rest of us, you know, from the from the heights of Mount Olympus, staring down at us mortals and acting like they they have some right to dare I say right to judge and when you look at what they did for what they did on this specific issue of Hillary's wealth creation and how obvious it was that this was a scheme for peddling influence how obvious the speech fees were By the way, this is going to tie into a current of current news don't worry I'm not just Hillary bashing for the fun of it although that's fun too um and I, and I would say to them, you really believe? And they go, oh, that's what the market will bear. And I, I think I, I might have even said on air at CNN to someone. I definitely said it off air. I probably should have said it on air. Well, if, you know, I'm a politician and someone wants to give me a paper bag for with a million dollars in it, that's what the market will bear if I'm going to pass favorable legislation for their business. But it's also called bribery. And you go to prison for a long time for it. But for Hillary, oh, no, I'm just giving her a lot of money because I need to hear her speak so badly. It's amazing. I actually just almost passed out doing Hillary there. Uh, it's a man. Gosh, I can't. I'm going to ruin my voice. I have to, go to, I have to go to Indiana this weekend. The fine people of Indiana deserve my voice as is. I'm not going to destroy it right now. Anyway, so Hillary gave these speeches. And I would always say to them, you know, guys, can, can we come back here? And they didn't like my thing about the brown paper bag of money under the desk, but we all know that that's the same idea. I'd say, can we come back and and revisit this issue? This is when I was thinking I might still hang out at CNN some more, but I got sick of the the whole situation over there. Can we come back and look at what her speaking fees are when she's no longer going to be president? Who wants to guess what uh, Hillary's getting paid for at Rutgers where she's giving a speech uh, today? Today, she just gave a speech today. $25,000. Does $25,000 sound like $250,000 to you? Does $25,000 sound like $800,000? Because those are the kind of speaking fees that Hillary and Bill used to get in the past. I mean, $800,000, you can get like a nice suite and a whole bunch of ladies in Vegas. You know, I mean, just voters, registered voters. What do you think I'm talking about? Don't be shady. Uh, That was what they used to get. Clinton Foundation donations falling off a cliff. And I would I said this during the election. I said, you know, if she loses, and they were all so smug, she's never gonna lose, Buck. You're such you're so ridiculous. You and your Trumpster fire. Uh, you know, I said, well well, let's just assume if she loses, we're gonna see if I'm right and you're wrong. And if you go back and listen to shows that I was doing during the campaign, it's a trust me, as soon as the as soon as the gravy train of government largesse stops. Hillary's fair market value as a speaker is going to be a whole lot less. A whole lot less than it was beforehand. And doesn't that tell us something about what was really going on? Doesn't it tell us something that the Clinton Foundation is getting a whole lot less foreign money all of a sudden? What, they don't care about empowering women and, and teaching school children and you know, stopping malaria or whatever stuff? Actually, Clinton Foundation was really about uh, women's empowerment stuff. Um, I'm trying to. Oh, climate change, of course. And uh, there was one other thing that comes, you know, something with school, something with women, and something with climate change. Very amorphous things that you really can't measure, you know. And the Clinton Foundation was largely a pass through for other charitable foundations. So the Clintons were effectively acting as middlemen, taking their cut of money that was supposed to be going to, you know, underprivileged children in, in Africa and Bangladesh and wherever. Right. That's that was the real role of the clinton foundation but i just want to know back to my initial premise here now that we can see that hillary's worth a whole lot less on the speaking circuit is it because she's not did she get bad at speaking all of a sudden or were people paying her a lot of money to buy her favor maybe have future influence in her administration and does any serious person really want to take the other side of this argument you know, I know that say, oh, Buck, you know, she's not the president. Yeah, but now we have, now the evidence is in. You know, now we actually have the numbers. Clinton Foundation money dropped off a cliff. Hillary's speaking fees dropped off a cliff. Why? Oh, that's right. Because it wasn't what the market would bear. It was corruption. It was buying politicians. In the open to the tune of over $100 million dollars that's what was going on. And our so-called journalist class, our, our, our media of top watchdogs of power, not only, it's not even that they didn't cover it enough or whatever, they excused it. They came up with ways of saying, you know, this is just not, not that big a deal. It's nothing. It's fine. Everybody does it. Hillary's amazing. She's going to break the glass ceiling. All of that. Well, I like to just take a little visit into Truthland. Truthland. Go into reality town. Have a look around and talk to some of the folks. And that's what we're doing right now. Uh, The numbers don't lie. Hillary, she was doing speeches at universities. I think it was like UNLV or something in the last year or two of 250 grand. Now she's taking 25. Even though she's rich, you know, she can't turn off. She is a grasping and deeply greedy human being. And they wanted to make her president because she would have been so much better, they say. Yeah, right. All right, I'll be back with more, including why the left does what they do when it comes to overreacting to statements and trying to get boycotts going. I'm going to leave that a little bit, I'm going to leave that out there for right now. So you're like, Buck, what's going on? What? Well, if you want to know what's going on, you have to listen through the break, and then I will tell you. But uh, trying to threatening boycotts, why do they do it, how do they do it, and what does it mean for all of us? I'll get into that and much more coming up here in just a few. The threat of boycotts. And an apology from a conservative commentator. It's a script that plays out time and again, and we just saw it happen now with Laura Ingram. I think Ingram, actually. I need to make sure I say the name properly uh, over at Fox News and David Hogg, who I would note is running around saying all kinds of r- really outrageous and unfair things. And, and he is, in fact, uh, smearing people on a regular basis, like Marco Rubio and my friend Dana Lash. Uh, but he is—he has a, a an invincibility, you know? He's like Frodo with the special armor that can't be pierced from the elves. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mithril, I think it's called. I love The Lord of the Rings. Am I right with that, or am I off on that? You guys are really both giving me the no? You don't know? Uh, anyway. So Frodo, you know, he gets stabbed by the big ogre. He's got the magic thing on his chest. He doesn't die. It's good stuff for Frodo. Point here is that it makes him invincible to an extent. And Hogg, because he suffered a, a trauma, um, is also... What's it called, John? Mithril shirt. Yeah, that's what I said. Psh, Buck's amazing. So anyway, he, he, he was giving an interview. And I'll just go over this pretty quickly. It's not really that important. And giving an interview... And he said, you know, that he, he didn't get into some of the schools he applied to, now, which, trust me, my friend, we can all sympathize. The way that he said it, some would interpret it as he wasn't getting in because of his activism, maybe. And I think that struck some people as a, a very strange way to take it, when overwhelmingly, I mean, ask any admissions director at any top school in the country, left-wing political activism is like, it, it, there's... It's the holy grail. I mean, that's probably the best thing you could possibly do. So it seems strange that he might have been complaining about it. And then uh, Laura, Laura Ingraham, uh, tweeted out the following David Hog- Now, she wasn't the first to write this either. Uh, it was posted, I think, on TMZ. And she wrote David Hogg rejected by four colleges to which he applied and whines about it. Now, you know, w- would I go there? No. Because I think that Hogg can say, I'll I say that he's saying dumb things, that he's being I- immature because he's a kid. So it's not surprising. He's being irresponsible. Uh, he doesn't strike me as knowledgeable at all on these issues. He, I, actually, he's quite ignorant, but he's made himself a part of a national public conversation. But, you know, I don't make fun of his appearance. I don't. And if I ever do, I, you know, I would apologize for it afterwards. If I ever got heated and said something that, you know, had crossed a line, I, I haven't. I'm just saying. Uh but I operate within a certain code. I, is is making a, a kind of a little bit of a snippy comment about him whining such a big deal? I, no, it doesn't strike me as such a big deal. I wouldn't do it. But then again, if people ask me, well, what do you think about what Trump said here? A lot of the time I'm like, I mean, I'm not saying it's terrible, but it's not how I would roll. But well, with Laura Ingram, I have a really tough time on her last name. And I always want to tell the story about the USS Ingram, one of the great stories told by Ronald Reagan a long time ago in a speech. Well, I'll have to save that one for another time. Ah, cliffhanger for everybody. I'll save that for another time. I've told it before on the show. If some of you write me and say, we want to know about the USS Ingram in the Mediterranean, I will tell you the story, but you have to write me on Facebook and request it. It'll be like a request of the DJ. That means, I guess, I'm the DJ. Waka waka. So Laura wrote, whines, that, that David Hogg was whining about it, and the response to this This is from CNBC. Advertisers, including TripAdvisor, Nestle and Wayfair, are dumping Laura Ingraham after she slammed Parkland Survivor. I mean, you had big advertisers that were were jumping ship based on that. And this is why the left is so fond of using victims to advance political arguments, because the moment somebody doesn't even necessarily go over the line in responding to them, just just gets close enough to the line they go into boycott mode. And that was exactly what Hogg did, by the way. He specifically uh, tweeted out, you know, if you pick a number, 1 to 12, contact the company next to that number. And they were all of Laura Ingram's top advertisers. By the way, do you think somebody helped, helped him find those? I'm guessing he had a little help. And went after all of her top advertisers because she said that he was whining about college, uh, college rejections. So I, I guess what we take from this is that David Hogg, now, if you if you criticize him in a way that's not purely political, you can have your livelihood attacked and tarnished. Now, to Laura's credit, she, she did apologize, and I think she wrote out uh, the following. Any student should be proud of a 4.2 GPA, including David Hogg. On reflection, in the spirit of Holy Week, I apologize for any upset or hurt my tweet caused him or any of the brave victims of Parkland. And, you know, there you have it. So she apologized. But This is, by the way, this is the response when she didn't even say anything bad. Can you imagine the first person who really steps out of line? They're going to go after them with everything that they've got. And that's why they like to use victims. It's a form of seeding the debate with with landmines for conservatives. And that's what ends up happening. So the left loves to boycott. Don't ever forget it. That's why your support of sponsors on this show and others uh, is so absolutely essential. Uh, we're going to roll into a break. We come back. Oh, I've got more on Roseanne. I watched it, folks. I watched it. We'll talk about it. We'll strap in and prepare for some grumpy pop culture analysis from yours truly. Occasionally in this job, it's part of my job to watch what the folks are watching in the world of pop culture, not news. I watch news all the time. Occasionally, though, I have a real excuse to flip on one of the network channels and The reboot of Roseanne, which I mentioned to you yesterday, is one of those opportunities. So I watched the first two episodes of this reboot. And I have to tell you, there's a lot more going on than you'd gather just from the press releases. I have to tell you, I didn't think it was very funny, but that doesn't matter. We can agree or disagree on that. That's completely a function of taste. And I would also stand behind everything I said yesterday about how, if it were really the profit motive that was driving much of the decision-making about scripted TV shows, what Hollywood and the entertainment industry chooses to make, there's this enormous market called half of America that is underserved in terms of content. And sure enough, Roseanne comes out it depicts a working class family and there's a Trump supporter at the center of it all Roseanne herself and we are to believe oh wow they have broken with their usual tendency here and we got a show where there's a Trump person at the center of it and and there's going to be attention now paid to that part of roughly half uh, the country. I watched the episodes, though, and I got to tell you, it's basically liberals creating a narrative where Roseanne, you know, the the red state family or whatever you want to call it, the working class white family. There you go. That's a better way to say it. The white working class family is constantly uh, having to challenge and change its assumptions about day-to-day life because of, oh, you guessed it, the various progressive social issues that are at the center of the show. Yeah, there's some arguing back and forth between a, an ardent Hillary supporter wearing the nasty woman T-shirt and the hat that begins with a P. I, I saw all that. But the central theme of the first two episodes or the central Challenge is how the uh, how Roseanne's household is going to deal with the fact that they've got a nine-year-old who's a boy who's dressing like a girl, and that's how the and it's all built around that. And there's some other progressive things thrown in there too. You've got a woman who's in her forties who's going to be a surrogate, and you know the the old uh, character played by John Goodman. You know the the patriarch of the family. He's all opposed to it. But I just look at all this and think to myself, are we really supposed to believe that this is, this is the, the day-to-day of a working-class white family in Ohio? This is the day-to-day of a working-class white family in Wisconsin? No, of course not. It, it seems quite strange to me to build one of the central challenges of this family— at least in the first I know it's only the first couple of episodes I get that but to launch right out of the gate with well what do we do about our cross-dressing nine-year-old and wouldn't it be nice if there could be a family that had let's just say one Republican parent in it and the representation of them was quite a bit different from this I know people are nostalgic for Roseanne and the show and how it dealt with American society in a kind of unvarnished way at the time. I'll also say that the show looks anachronistic. The home that they're in, that's not what working class uh, homes really look like today. It's what they look like 20 years ago. So I I think that's a bit strange. I mean, in terms of the interior and everything, it, it looks like they just literally turned on a show that they had had a set from 20 years ago. And they didn't change anything, which is s- strange to me. Now all they're doing, from what I can see, is adding into it these progressive challenges. But is this really what, what uh, concerns middle America? To bring back a term you don't hear very much anymore. What do I do if my nine-year-old son starts dressing like a girl because he wants to be fashionable in school? I'm not a parent yet, but I-, I would tell my nine-year-old son that that was not what he was going to do that I'm a parent and that I know best, and this is not going to be some childhood assault on the patriarchy. Even more than that, though, I would just like to see a depiction of someone who's clearly conservative on TV and not have it centered around how they, they become more accepting of progressive social issues, of social justice issues, and that's the character's growth. I can already see on this show, one of the ways this is all going to be structured is, well, you know, Roseanne, you know, she's she's coming over to the side of of greater tolerance. You know, the dad, he's he's gonna embrace diversity more and all this. I just sit there watching this and thinking to myself, where's the show on TV where a conservative family is elevated? You know, where's the show on TV where you see A white working class family that goes to church and people, yeah, they can still be funny. It could be a comedy, but they're attractive as people. I don't mean just physically, but they're attractive people. You know, they've got their lives together. We all have our challenges and there's plenty of humor in day to day life. But I can't think of that show. The only thing that comes close would be Friday Night Lights for me, which is a show that I really loved. But Friday Night Lights is really a show about two East Coast liberals living in West Texas. Two incredibly appealing, good looking parents who really were pulled out of like Darien, Connecticut and plopped in West Texas and have a little bit of a Southern accent so they can fit in more. And that's the way that that show was constructed. Everyone around them seems much more authentic than the parents who are the centerpiece of the whole show up here but in roseanne i i think that we are being look i i don't mean to over politicize this but it's clearly a show that's gotten a lot of attention 18 million viewers it's already a topic of major political discussion i think we're being propagandized to just in a slick way and it's to show the aging conservative boomer generation in particular you know You'll understand more about this transgender stuff in time. Just just accept it. Remember, acceptance comes first. Well, rather, first is tolerance, then acceptance, then celebration. And then totalitarianism. Sometimes that last step takes a while. But I am a little distressed. This is the this is the best we can do for a show about a, a, a family that has Trump supporting parents. I, I believe the dad voted for Trump. I'm surmising that, but. Clearly, Roseanne explicitly says she did. This is the best we can do. Uh, the fam- I know the family supposed to be dysfunctional. It's supposed to have the problems of day-to-day life. Fine. But why isn't the focus on that instead of right off the bat, automatically, the challenge is plucked from the, the, the top of the list of progressive social agenda items, which is transgender kids. We've got a show now on TV with 18 million people watching it that's supposed to represent just normal middle America in some way. And they're dealing with a transgender nine year old or a, a, a kid who's you know, changing his clothes to look like a woman, even though he says he knows he's a boy. Whatever. The point is gender identity issues as a nine year old, which is, let's understand, actually quite rare. And the way that it is constructed in the show, they're not going to make this kid start dressing the way that he should for his gender. The parents are, are going to have to become more tolerant of it. So what you're going to see is the right in this context loses, right? The, the, the Trump, the grumpy Trump conservative, who sure will have some funny one-liners here and there and occasionally will speak in a salty, salty tones about day-to-day life and shed some some truth on a situation, but is going to become more accepting and more progressive over the course of the show. I can just tell. Why does it always have to be this way, folks? Uh, Why do we... I think at this point, we just are numb to how much propaganda there really is in this. Don't think for a second it's not political. Control of the culture is the most important thing that any political group could ever achieve. Because if you can convince people about what is reality in their day to day lives, getting them to vote for your candidate that's easy. So I'm I'm not a fan of the Roseanne reboot. I think you've gotten that from my talk so far. I don't I don't like it. I, I you know when I think of a, a Trump supporting family, you can make a show about. You know how about a, a show about a really you know, all American dad who loves to barbecue and likes to, you know, work on his car and a mom who's like a great mom, a stay at home mom, used to have a career maybe, but decided, you know what, third wave feminism doesn't have to determine my life and have kids that, you know, like sports and football and like to go out and, you know, maybe do some shooting, go do some hunting on the weekends. And, you know, they go to church and they're funny and they make jokes and they have the problems that we all have in life, but they're not see, my, my big problem with Roseanne is I feel like there's a little bit of laughing at this family instead of laughing with this family sometimes. It's subtle. I'm, I'm not saying it's, that's the case in every joke all the time, but that you have this character who... Now, and I did not watch the long run the show had in the past. I'm coming into this now just on the reboot side. Uh, but to have this character who clearly... Is going to be transforming over the course of the show into someone m- more palatable, more acceptable to liberals. Is just another form of getting people to agree agree with the left. You know, I always tell people if you want to if you want to look at the most effective the most effective campaign for uh, for same sex marriage that I've ever seen is the a couple that is in Modern Family, one of the most beloved and well-watched shows on television, Uh, the same-sex couple, the gay couple that's married and adopts a a little girl on the show, that's the most effective messaging for same-sex marriage I've ever seen, and it's it's on a sitcom. Don't underestimate the power of these things. Don't underestimate the fact that the people that are making these choices know that the choices will have impact down the line. This isn't just about entertainment. There's more. There's more at stake and there's more intended. All right. I'll have more on this as we go. I'll be right back.
0: I hope every Democrat will be asked, is it a good idea to repeal the Second Amendment? Because I want every Democrat to answer that question. This is a very bad idea. I'm glad he's retired. He has right to his opinion like every other American. But I'm up here to protect the Second Amendment, not repeal it. And I can't wait to hear what Nancy Pelosi says and every other liberal Democrat. See if they will stand with Justice Stevens or they'll stand with the Constitution. I'm
1: dying to know. So I'm in a generous mood today, I guess, because I'm here to tell you that I think Lindsey Graham is spot on. You know, if they want it, then they should get it. They they want to talk about repealing the Second Amendment. Let's talk about a gun ban. You know, this is one of the things Democrats do so much better than Republicans, including in the media. They have a lot more megaphones, a lot more platforms to do it. So maybe that's what it's all about. But just just keep on hammering home very blunt force trauma kind of questions. You know, do you want to ban guns? Do you want to ban assault rifles? Do you want to repeal the Second Amendment? Forget about... And don't allow them to go, well, you know, maybe if we could think about it, take a vote, you know, eh. No. Do you want that or not? Get them on the record. They don't want to be on the record for the most part because they want to have it both ways. They want to praise the Parkland kids that are out there stumping for the Democrat Party and, and just on the absolute attack against all kinds of uh, Republicans... Uh, but they don't want to be necessarily, necessarily affiliated with a specific position. Uh, they should all be asked, do you want to ban guns? If if you want to end gun violence, you want to talk about how great the Parkland organization of these kids has been so far. You know, And I say these kids, I'm not talking about all the kids, just the, the few that are now celebrities. They've become celebrities. They don't know very much. They say really inflammatory and stupid things but particularly the hog kid, but why not just ask every Democrat? I mean, I, I do want to hear what Nancy Pelosi's answer to the question is. And he, you know what they'll try to do? Some of them will go, you know, Pelosi's response would be something like, hey, we well, here you know, for hunting and, and sportsmen and hey, <laughs> hey. No, but let them say that. Let them make fools of themselves on this. I, I've been t- saying all along, and I, I love it when people get really angry at me when Democrats get into this. Well, the truth is that it's really about not liking gun owners and all that they stand for. That's what all this animus is about. How is Trump so tied in with guns? Think about that for just a part of just a part of this little discussion we're having here. Why is why is opposition to Trump at these marches so on display? We've had guns in private hands, well, for the entirety of of this country's history, but Trump hasn't loosened any gun restrictions. Trump hasn't done anything to expand access to firearms. No. Actually, on the contrary, there may be more legislation, at least at the state level, that gets by under the Trump administration than there was under the Obama administration. So... What is with the hatred of Trump as a way tied into all the stuff about gun control? And it's just because, as I've said, antipathy toward gun violence is really just a cover for antipathy or disdain or hatred, not liking people who own guns. Um, It's it's the other guns are an otherizing force now in American society. And you can tell, you know, this from your own life, ask somebody that, you know, if they're a gun owner. And never mind just their answer their response to it will tell you overwhelmingly who they voted for. Are they pro-life or pro-choice? Are they Christians who go to church on Sunday? I mean, you know, you you start to break down the numbers on this and you'll see. There is obviously obviously a a close correlation between conservatism and the second amendment. And so that's what really motivates much of this. It's taking the moral high ground supposedly, taking the moral high ground and being able to call the NRA and anybody who supports them. and Oh, by the way, NRA donations, the month, this just came out today, I think the month after Parkland, uh, NRA donations were up 300%, I think it was. So, clearly, this is not going to have the effect that many on the left think that it will. You know, NRA donations went up dramatically. uh, And... The Second Amendment is not going away anytime soon. But I Lindsey Graham's right. I've said it here on the show too. Make them answer the question. Make them answer the question. And then ask them if they like Roseanne and what they think about that. Because you can make all kinds of make all kinds of conclusions from that, right? Come to conclusions based on whether one supports Roseanne or not as a reboot. And then if you really want to know something, ask them if they think JJ Abrams is overrated. Because the only proper answer to that question is yes. Anything other than that yeah, you can give me the evil eye in the other room. That's fine. Anything other than that, unacceptable. JJ Abrams is the most. JJ oh, Abrams is the Bruce Springsteen of scripted television. Bam. Take that one to the bank. Quick break here. I'll be back with more. Stay with me. So, this is a follow up to a story yesterday I was not expecting to do, but I have to, I suppose. Remember when I told you about that Planned Parenthood that tweeted out that we need a Disney princess who has, among other things, had an abortion? And I thought, wow, there's really nothing that the left is is unwilling to politicize, pollute and destroy. We can't even all just be okay with Disney, uh, Disney princesses anymore. We have to make that an issue. And I know there's already political correctness concerns around them, but but you have Planned Parenthood from an official account, which it deleted, but saying we need a Disney princess who's had an abortion. Uh, As though that's a a positive message for young girls and for all people, quite honestly. I've seen lots of Disney movies. I think Disney movies are generally pretty great. I thought that was the end of the story. I got a little more context for it, though. And that is that there are memes going around that we need a Disney princess that and people fill in all the different blanks. We need a Disney princess that, you know, destroys the patriarchy or whatever. And Planned Parenthood said we need one that's had an abortion. I I didn't think there'd be much more to talk about here. But sure enough, Jezebel, which is a I I believe a radical feminist publication, but it, it used to be owned by or maybe still is owned by. And, and is affiliated with the same group as Gawker uh, Gawker.com which was a, a disgusting cesspool of a website that operated for years and was just profiting off of uh, human misery and character assassination and Gawker was one of the one of the worst things on the web uh, but Jezebel I think is from the same group that owned Gawker anyway Jezebel wrote this piece this was just... This just went up yesterday. I can't even parody how crazy the left really is because they always outdo whatever I think the outer limits of their insanity might be. And on Jezebel, they have the following piece on their website. Statistically, at least two Disney princesses have had abortions. And then this author proceeds to go into an analysis of how Disney princesses, which include Belle, Rapunzel, Ariel, Tiana, Snow White, Cinderella, Aurora, Marita, Pocahontas, Jasmine, and Mulan. Uh, more than two of them, at least two of them, according to this analysis, have had an abortion. To which I just immediately have to say, how stupid can a person be who is paid to write about things? Uh, if we're really going to talk about this for a moment, first of all, statistics don't work that way, right? It would be like saying, well, you know everyone has 1.7 children in this country. Uh, so that's that's one. And also statistically, all of the Disney princesses that I mentioned there, if we're going to uh, if we're going to really look at this for a moment, are from periods that were before, the era of the modern abortion movement. So they most certainly, I I can guarantee you that none of the Disney princesses have had an abortion. Um, Also, I believe some of them are mere teenagers based on the storylines. So why am I following up on this? I thought that yesterday it would be settled that Planned Parenthood, which is a grotesque organization, deleted the tweet they realized that a disney princess had had an abortion they would leave it there but the left wanted to double down on it and so that's how we have a piece about how statistically at least two disney princesses they say have had abortions the effort to glorify uh, abortion as something to be proud of is one of the most odious in fact i, I you could put it up there in the same category of odiousness as, as anything else in modern politics. It's as as wrong and gross and evil as any other mainstream political conversation that is happening, right? Um, and, and I do believe that one day we will look back on this period in our history in this country of the Planned Parenthood, pro-choice, pro-abortion era and be completely and utterly horrified, uh, but to forestall that day the left is even willing to make peace uh make make up things like this disney princesses oh yeah they've already had abortions no no they, they, they didn't used to all these medieval and pre-modern societies where the disney princesses lived they were lucky in a sense because there was no procedure known as abortion so it did not happen I just had to follow up with it. All right, we're we're gonna turn into a, a roll call segment here in a second. We'll we'll spruce up the uh, the hut a little bit. Right now it's a little dour with uh, our topics, but we'll be right back to it. So stay with me. It's one of these gray days in New York City where I just feel like, can it be a beautiful spring day already? It's been so cold. It's been snowy. I've had enough. I want some good weather. I want to rock a t shirt. I want to drink a margarita in a sidewalk cafe out on the street (sighs) one of those days team you know i don't know i'm excited to go out to indiana tomorrow though i'm gonna get to hang out with all the folks out there at WoWO. if you are in the fort wayne area talk tank just google fort wayne talk tank and you'll see i'm gonna be hanging out all saturday with the folks in fort wayne and our wonderful affiliate wo wo out there and please do come and join please do come and hang out that Will put a big smile on my face, and make me very happy uh, for the weekend. So I, I hope there are a lot of members of the team that can come hang out. I'll just be there all day. So we'll talk about whatever you want. I'll probably even do commie bear on command, which is very rare for me, but I like to be a crowd pleaser. So with that, you know what comes next.
0: Hey, Team Buck, it's
1: time for roll call. All right, first up, (laughs) I hope you like that. Oh, yeah, get those dance moves going. Bum, 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 bum. You just feel like you're going to be dancing alongside me in our aerobics class, don't you? It's how we we do it. Uh, First up in Roll Call, we got Michael, who has sent a photo of his beautiful yellow lab, and she's beautiful. So thank you for the photo. Steve is next up. Hey, Buck, love your show. Had one of my employees tell me about your show, and I've been listening ever since. I was wondering about all of these Netflix documentaries about good food and such. I think it would be a fantastic idea to have a documentary about all the corruption with the Democrat Party about President Trump and documenting all the allegations, uh, but most importantly, the truth instead of the fake news that we are hearing every day. Getting interviews with both right and left parties about the situation. But I'm sure you're going to get people on the left that will not do an interview. I know it would be a lot of work, but maybe you could find somebody that could take this project and make it come to life. It could potentially go viral and educate people on what is truly happening in our country. Steve, it's a great idea. And you know what? I would I would lead it if somebody could just help me get the funding. You know, this is the truth team. So much of what is possible on the creative side, unfortunately, and even in the creative commentary space, right? It's just a function of money. You know, this is why I say to you, and I'm very honest about it, every time I do a, a read on this show or you hear a commercial and they have the, the call-out codes for, uh, for buck, you know, buck 15 or whatever it is, depending on, on the sponsor, uh, that's just a way of showing the sponsor that the folks listening Are willing to uh, give a shot to the product and also support what we're doing here. And the more, you know, the more success with that we have, the more I can do live stream video from the Freedom Hut. The more success I have with uh, the history podcasts, once we figure out how we're going to present them, uh, then the the more research and time and I could actually get a staff. You know, that's, you know, capitalism is wonderful, but it also uh, means that we got to do, we got to be working within the, reality of the finances here so if somebody listening to this wants to get together with me and some other folks and come up with a way to do a a really kick-butt documentary on all the anti-trump corruption going on you know great let's talk uh as long as someone can write a check for to do that kind of documentary i think we could do it for three or four million that'd be my guess yeah i know right it's expensive (laughs) that's why it's hard to do these things All right, next up here, we have uh, Mickey, who writes, Love how you call your girlfriend Miss Molly. I have a granddaughter named Molly, and we call her Miss Molly, even though she is a little kid still. She even has some teachers at school that have always called her Miss Molly. Well, thank you very much, Mickey. Yeah, Molly's great, and uh, she has a very interesting background. She is, uh, on one side, Latina, and on the other side, Jewish. Uh, so her name is is a mixture of different cultures as well Uh, they call her molly just because they like it it's actually there's no irish in her background whatsoever Uh, but thank you for the shout out mickey appreciate it um sheldon next up here hey buck just heard you talking about cardi b like you've never heard of her until a few weeks ago saying that you need to check out her rant on taxes since she is making money now, I think she realizes how much money she is losing. It's funny and enlightening. Shields high. Sheldon. Um, Buck, I think those people, devices, I've not had an issue here. Any podcast? Okay, he's also saying the podcast is fine, so you can hear it. Thank you, Sheldon. Uh, yeah, people, people feel differently about taxes once they start paying really serious taxes. And uh, right now, I am particularly ornery about the federal government because I'm one of those folks who has to send in estimated taxes. It's not even just that I have money taken out of my paycheck every two weeks, which I do, but any side projects that I have, some of the other things I'm involved with, I'm paid as a contractor. And for those gigs, I have to send the federal government a check in advance of tax day just because they want their money right away. All right, we got Dale, uh, who's written out some bullet points here. Okay, Dale, let's get into it. Shields High, love your radio show and the Shields High podcast. About the outrageous omnibus bill that the Dems and Rhinos pulled out of their collective uh, tookuses, I was very disappointed with President Trump for not videoing it, but I came across a post comment that explains about an ace up his sleeve and why the omnibus is not such a bad thing. I do not know the validity of this. I'm not sure if you have read this yet, but I would love to know your thoughts and opinions. Have much respect for you. You are the next Rush. Please read on. Well, since you called me the next Rush, Dale... There is no higher compliment, of course, that I could be paid. Uh, I will read on you, write, And this is you're taking this from uh, John Salisbury. President Trump outsmarts Congress. Best explanation I've seen. Let's talk about what the president can and can't do for this omnibus bill. There's a lot of discussion both ways. So let's examine how money gets allocated and spent in the U.S. government. One, Congress allocates money to be spent. The president spends the allocated money. Two, once Congress allocates money, their job is oversight of the money being spent. They don't spend the money and have no say how it gets spent as long as it's being spent legally. That's their job to monitor with oversight. Three, once the president is given the money with the instruction to spend it, he has a number of choices to make in spending it. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. This opens up new options. I'm going to skip ahead here. This is going a little long. Um, Despite their language in the omnibus bill about the border wall, it is Trump by the state of emergency that Trump declared. Okay, that's what this is about, the state of emergency and national security side. Look, I think that there's probably a way that Trump could do that. Just understand that it would immediately be challenged in federal court, and I think that a federal court, because of the politics involved, would immediately put a stay on any Trump effort to use military funds and declare an emergency to do that. So... That's what I think about that. Um, next up, we have Mike, who writes, Oh, hey, Buck, good morning from Iowa. I see you're a steak guy. You have to try this style of reverse sear to take your steak game to the next level. Well, Mike, um, I am not familiar with the reverse sear, so I will read your, your uh, note here, and I will give it a shot. Katie, next up here, Buck, I was so excited to hear a shout-out to Mist, my favorite game ever. You should hole up and binge on the whole series over a long weekend now that you're older and wiser. Truth be told, I still haven't played Revelation because I don't want it to end. I love your show, especially hearing references to pop culture and bumper music from someone around my age. Uh, I'm a Rush baby, and I'm thankful that you represent a younger generation with as much accuracy and wisdom as Limbaugh. Keep up the good work, Katie. Well, thank you so much, Katie. Uh, very, very kind of you, and I'm certainly... Uh, doing what I can here. Next up, we have Tim, who writes he, at the top, okay for roll call. Well, thank you, Tim, for the permission. Another awesome show, bro. Personally, I'm just short of OSS. I began following you in the Blaze days. Well, that was when I was OSS, Tim. I think you're on board. I have a challenge for Hollywood. Here goes. Create a new TV series similar to the West Wing, where the, where the left can have their madame president, where they act out alternate and creative ways of dealing with current events, have them make the case why America would want a Democrat in the office. But if the right plays it smart, they could create a conservative version of the West Wing with a president pushing family values, Christian fundamentals, uh, morals, values, and a true constitutional republic, and where the good guys, Americans, always win. Uh, what do you think? That uh, Tim sounds great, but Hollywood's going to block it cause they're a bunch of libs. I'm going to leave it there for today. Thank you so much for being here with me tomorrow. I'll be broadcasting from Fort Wayne, from the studios of WoWO in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Looking forward to hanging out with the folks there on Saturday. Talk tank is the event. It is in Fort Wayne. I believe it's at the convention center there. Uh, come out, hang out. We'll take photos, chat. We'll tell jokes, uh, who knows? Commie Bear might make an appearance. It's going to be great. So if you're in the Fort Wayne area and if you're listening to this on WoWo in particular, because that's very likely, uh, please do come out. And until tomorrow, my friends, shields high.